Weight Loss, It's a Mindset with Heather Moreno. This is episode 123 on Alternative Health Tools podcast, where together we discover and share new alternative health tools and resources from alternative healthcare practitioners and experts. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. We've had a few conversations back and forth, and I think we met on, uh, yeah, we did, Mary Kravitz, watchusthrive.com, you know, twice a month, Zoom with breakout rooms she does, which is done so well. And I meet the most fabulous people there, and that would be you. I knew you were talking about me. Yes, yeah. she's done a great job with that. And yeah, I met a lot of a lot of great people across the country. It's been a good yeah, experience. It's, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of people during COVID jumping here and there on every Zoom call they can get on, but I whittled it down to really just two places. I'm a very active member in the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce and serve on two committees. We do actually, I'm on three chamber Zoom calls. One is a first Friday breakfast. And then another one is um, a mixer that we do. And then um, I serve on two committees and we record those Zoom, Zoom things too. But it's Mary Kravitz, watchusthrive.com, which I just really enjoy. I've met so many good people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So here we are. We're actually recording on January 29th, 2021. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, the show might be a little timely for two reasons. Number one is it's January when people are making resolutions like weight loss. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is we're in the middle of a pandemic and people have gained a lot of weight. That's what I hear from people. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah, a double whammy, huh? Yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself as you would like the world to know you? Well, sure. Uh, so I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist, uh, <laughs> former CPA. Uh, And what I do now is I get to help women who are smart and they know what to do to take care of their health. They know how to lose weight. They know what to eat, what not to eat, how to exercise, you know, 80 to 90% of it. And for whatever reason, they just can't get themselves to do it consistently. You know, they can be going on a good, a good run and then bam, something happens and everything goes to hell. And they think what's wrong with me. And I've just got to do something about this. Uh, And then they keep kind of repeating the same cycle. And so I get to work with some amazing women to help them break that cycle and actually successfully lose weight and keep it off. Nice. So how do you distinguish yourself from the myriad of other people that are actually helping other people, helping women lose weight? I would say the biggest thing is it's getting at the underlying issues, the underlying reasons. So for example, I have a client that last year during the pandemic, she's lost 50 pounds. And that's obviously quite noticeable. So people in her life will come up to her and say, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm really just needing to change the way I, I think. And they say, oh, oh, well, no, but what are you doing? Like, what are you eating? You know, what is your exercise? She goes, no, no, no. It's really been about my mindset and changing things. And they say, no, but can you tell me what it is? What, what's the diet? What you, so they want to keep going back to those habits, 
but the thing is, if we all, if, if it was just about the habits and the knowledge, then everybody would be fit and thin and healthy. And we'd all, of course, be wealthy and have perfect relationships if information was all we needed. That's what people go back to. That's the default, but that's not what they need. And I think that's a lot of what's offered out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nutritional programs, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nutritional programs. Maybe you're counting macros, you're counting carbs, you're counting calories or points or whatever it is. And and, and there, it, it's not that all of that is bad per se, uh, but when the focus is just on sort of like white knuckling and counting and uh, not really living, <laughs> I would say, I would say my, my philosophy is you need to enjoy food, love life, and be able to lose weight. Those have to all go together. So I think to be constantly counting, to have an understanding of nutrition and the calorie value of foods, that's all certainly helpful. But this overemphasis on counting things or cutting that out, I don't think is helpful. I haven't seen it to be for the long term anyway. In my journey, one thing I've discovered that mm-hmm. um, when people talk about not necessarily losing weight, but I talk about a nutritional density of food. Yes. And processed food. So what I tell people is like, it's real simple. You just don't purchase anything that has a label because if it has a label, it means it's been processed. Exactly. Now, we're not talking about that today, but, you know, I'm also reminded um, I've had Jake Eagle several times on this podcast and Jake basically is a psychotherapist, but he's moved into really conscious living. And one thing he told me many, many years ago is that sometimes therapy is the problem. So for people that are going to a therapist for like 10 years at a time, sometimes therapy is the problem, you know? So so I, I'm kind of like putting that over onto the, a very similar thing. Sometimes counting calories, counting this, counting that, it becomes kind of a game really not worth playing, right? Uh, I, I agree. It's it, when somebody's so focused on that, like I said, it sort of takes the joy out of things and they have this sense of, you know, well, if I can just control this, but what happens, and, and this is pretty typical, is you start the day thinking, all right, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat a really healthy breakfast, this at lunch, this at day. You know, we've got this plan in our head. I'm going to go for a run after work. And a lot of stress and expectation. Yes. And then you get to the end of the day and you're overworked, you're exhausted, whatever's gone on during the day, because nobody's day goes perfectly. So here we get to the end of the day and it's like, oh, just, you know, I want a glass of wine. I need to zone out. I just need to relax. And that turns into a bottle of wine and, you know, binge watching Netflix. Or a quart of ice cream. Or a quart of ice cream. All of that. A sleeve of Thin Mints. <laughs> many, <laughs> oh, many options. Well, do tell. What's your favorite? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I, always, I used to refer to myself as a chocoholic. Oh. And, you know, s- discovered not long ago that that was never really a helpful <laughs> <laughs> label for myself. And um, gosh, about a year and a half ago, I, I decided to stop eating sweets and desserts and things like that. I figured that in my lifetime, I've probably had enough for two lifetimes. <laughs> uh, you know, I used to have chocolate every single night. Uh, and it was, you know, your dark chocolate. So it was the quote unquote healthy chocolate. Uh-huh. And, you know, dip it into a little, you know, natural almond butter. So what could be healthier? But I'm, you know, putting 
food into my body that it didn't need Mm -hmm. and sort of driving that sweet craving, right? That dopamine hit you get from the sugar and you want more and you want more. And I realized that that wasn't, that wasn't helpful. So I just did a little bit of an experiment and I thought, okay, let's, let's go for a period of time not eating dessert. So I wasn't sitting here counting what exactly was in everything I ate, but I knew what a dessert or a sweet was, right? It's a cookie. It's a muffin. It's chocolate. It's like, there's no kidding myself. Mm -hmm. So I did that for two months and I, I haven't stopped. So, (laughs) So in the last year and a half, I can count on one hand, how many times I've like consciously decided to have dessert, say at Thanksgiving, when my sister-in-law bakes a pie or something like that. And it often tastes sweeter than I really care to have. And I don't have the urge for it that I used to have that's gone away. And you want to know the weirdest thing, John? Mm. Vanilla extract tastes sweet to me. Vanilla extract tastes sweet. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. Not that I drink it, by the way. But when I'm, you know, I have a recipe for some oatmeal banana pancakes that you do up in the Vitamix and it calls for uh, vanilla extract. And and you, invariably, you always get a little bit on the outside of the bottle and you and you think it's going to taste good and it never does. Right. It yeah. never has tasted good. But in the last year, I mean, I, I do that still. And I'm like, ooh, that actually tastes good. Mm. Mm. And I think I've just recalibrated my my taste buds. So, yeah, yeah. there's something that. uh I am reminded when I was like 25 years old, I was working in a country inn. at one point working in the kitchen and then waiting tables and then doing everything. But one of the people that was working there made the most killer cheesecake. Mm. And I would have a piece of cheesecake every single night after my shift. And I, I, I mean, it was really good. And I'm thinking, I probably started a little bit of a habit back then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, young 25-year-old running around a restaurant in a country inn and just full of a lot of energy and burning off tons of calories and all the rest of it and didn't affect me at all. But, you know, at some point, your metabolism, everything shifts. And I have a little bit of an insight into that. It usually happens at the age of 30 when, um, from my perspective anyway, when our liver stops making coenzyme Q10 Mm. and uh, things shift, but behaviorally I'm sure, you know, that plays into this whole thing of people gaining weight and they wonder why. So you talking about cheesecake brings up an interesting memory for me. When I left, uh, I worked for KPMG, one of the large accounting firms and made, you know, 180 switch to go personal training before I started coaching. And so I was working as a personal trainer at one of uh, LA Fitness's really nice clubs in Woodland Hills, Warner Center area. And right next door, Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> so here I am a personal trainer at the time, and I'm having cheesecake most every day of the week. Chocolate chip cookie dough cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, you're like walking out and going, is anybody watching? Because I'm going to like walk into the Cheesecake Factory and grab a piece or a pie or whatever it is. That's funny. Yeah, kind of crazy. That's yeah. funny. Good times. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, I think I've had enough dessert for a lifetime. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have memories. You can just eat those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what are most of the challenges that people come to you with? I mean, what are most people, what are most women saying? Most women are saying things like, I haven't been able to lose weight before. 
Like they keep kind of going to their past to define what they think is possible in the future. They have, they have an urge, right? They set out with the best of intentions and then they have an urge and they think there's something wrong with them that they can't just, you know, buckle down and do the right thing. That really is what it just, it comes down to. Like, why can't I do the things I know I need to do? And why am I doing the exact opposite? Mm. So how do you approach somebody like that? Well, the first step really is, is digging in and figuring out what are the, what are the thoughts and the beliefs they have that keep them stuck? Like to think I haven't been able to lose weight before, like, you know, this isn't going to work. That's an incredibly unhelpful thought because they will go seeking the evidence to confirm that belief. And so the minute they, in their mind, mess up, they're done. And they're back to see, said it wouldn't work. And they keep reliving that. It's that what we, you know, layman's terms is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with somebody like that? I mean, how do you approach them? Uh, it's really going through and retraining, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense, and and having them come up with n- new thoughts, different thoughts that are going to be helpful for them. Uh, it, it can be challenging sometimes. I mean, sometimes a lot of times I'll have women come to me who really have complete disdain for their bodies. You know, they 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 refer to themselves as you know they're they're fat or oh, look at this, and they're they're picking and pulling apart their bodies. And really that first step, like what I believe is that you're not going to treat something well that you don't love and appreciate, and that includes your body. And so you can't hate your body into, you know, good health or weight loss, not, not long-term anyway. You've got to find a way to love and appreciate your body. And sometimes the first step is to simply stop hating it. And to bring it a little more neutral and then gradually get to this place where you can actually love and appreciate your body because then you will you are going to be more likely to take those actions. Doesn't mean that you don't have challenges, that you don't come home after a bad day and want a bottle of wine <laughs> or that carton of ice cream. Uh, but that really has to be that foundation of love and appreciation for your body if you are, are to treat it well for the long haul. It would be true for any health condition that you might want to yes. change, right? Yes. I've never seen anyone beat themselves into good health, well-being, you know, beat the beat the ever-living crap out of themselves. I mean, that's what so many women do that. They're they're picking themselves apart, whether it's their body, their abilities. It's it's heartbreaking in in some ways to to listen to the way some women talk about themselves. And I, I've never seen that work. There's another thing that comes up for me too. If you are that woman and you have children, the question you must ask yourself is what are you teaching your children? Yes. And often they know that and then they start to heap shame on themselves because now they're doing the same thing to their children but they can't see they're they, they're caught in this loop. Uh, and so they they know that and then they put extra pressure on themselves and they don't think that they, they they tend to think like, okay, well, my kids aren't, don't see this. Like I can kind of keep it hidden. No, you can't, you can't. Um, they, they see it, they know it and, and they learn that. And whether they, you know, whether they take that on themselves or, or not, it, you know, just because parents do something doesn't mean their kids necessarily do the same thing, but certainly it doesn't model what most of us would want kids to learn. Mm-hmm. So it starts with themselves first. It does start with themselves first. And and, and and the shame piece, I bring that up because there does tend to be so much shame when it surrounds weight. Because, you know, a lot of a, a lot of a lot of challenges pe- that people have are hidden. 
Like somebody doesn't walk around with a stamp on their head that says, you know, I'm really bad at relationships or I'm bankrupt. You know, nobody walks around with that. You walk around with your weight that can be a very, um, you know, visible way for people to see that, you know, and make judgments. And then we make judgments on ourselves about that. And then we carry around this great, great deal of shame about our bodies. And, and that just, that just spirals and feeds on itself. Mm -hmm. I'd like to read something and just see how you, what you think of it. And I was looking for the difference between subconscious and unconscious, because I think that's part of what you're talking about, the work you do, which is, and it goes like this, the subconscious is that part of consciousness that is not currently in focal awareness. The unconscious mind consists of the processes in the mind that occur automatically and are not available to introspection and include thought processes, memory, effect, and motivation. Make sense to you? It, it does. I, I would want you to read that again because I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to parse out the difference of in your definition there of subconscious and unconscious. Okay, the subconscious is that part of consciousness that is not currently in focal awareness. Okay. The yeah. unconscious mind, which is different than subconscious, the unconscious mind consists of the processes in the mind that occur automatically. And are not available to introspection and include thought processes, memory, effect, and motivation. You know what is interests me, though, in that definition of unconscious is while the thoughts and memories and things like that don't necessarily come to the surface, you know, aren't, we can't access them as you read, we can still see the effects of them. Like we mm -hmm. can still certain behaviors and wonder like, why am I doing this? And I think we have the capacity as thinking beings to say, I might not know why, you know, and sometimes maybe, you know, therapy can, can certainly be useful for, for many people struggling with, with certain issues. I think we can sometimes look at that behavior and say, I don't know why I'm doing it, but how do I want to behave going forward? And what do I need to think to make that possible? So to just simply stay, stay, let's say, a, a victim to or um, to feel like our unconscious mind has control and I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, what if we don't have to know? What if we just start choosing something different and, and moving in that direction? So I think that can be a more helpful way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Well, one reason or one reason. Yeah, one reason I think people need to contact you. If, if they feel, if they feel the urge or if it makes sense is that one thing that I was involved in therapy for years, actually, when I lived in Santa Fe and worked with some really, really good people. One thing I, you know, I asked is why can't we do this ourselves? In other words, why do we need a coach or why do we need a therapist? And it's like the, it was Jake Eagle again, Jake, Jake had said, because we generally don't have access to certain parts of our consciousness that somebody, somebody that's skilled, and that would you be you, Heather, outside of yourself can readily see. Yes, that saying of we don't know what we don't know. And we're caught up in our own story 
and it can take someone from the outside to see all of that and to see, as you said, things that we don't see. And then how do you, you know, it's a lot in coaching. It is asking questions that then spur, you know, thought and conversation that a client never would have explored on her own Mm -hmm. for sure. Nice. Yeah. So do you work mostly with individuals? Uh, I work specifically with individuals and within my individual clients uh, back during the pandemic when it started. And of course, nobody knew how long this was going to last. We still don't. We still don't. Let's be clear about it. (laughs) We still don't. Like, oh, gosh, next month, April. We have a vaccine. We're done in a month. Not. No. And so that month, uh, March of last year, I sent an email out to all my clients. I said, any of you that want to, let's get on a group, you know, Zoom and connect and support each other. And so I did it just that one time. And I thought, okay, this needs to keep going on. And so I did that weekly for several months. And then starting in August, we went to to bi-weekly, or I should say twice a month. And it's really been nice. Not all of my clients, a lot of my clients are just like, no, I like the one-on-one, I'm good. Uh, others like both of those. And so it's, it's, a, it's only for my clients. Uh, I don't do it in a group right now. So it's a lot of them have really enjoyed it because the thing, John, is that, you know, in our culture, people are w- looking for like, what are the things to do, right? We talked about that. They're looking for the behavior, the habits, and that's further down the neurological pathway. So in our daily life, if we're looking, someone's looking to lose weight, she is surrounded by other people that are like, ooh, this diet, right? They're talking about all, you know, these programs, these hacks, these things to do to lose weight. She's not surrounded by women who are changing their mindset, who are trying to look at things differently. And so for my one-on-one clients to have access to other women who are going through the same journey they are and having those same conversations, they really learn from each other and support each other. And it's really beautiful. Nice. It sounds nice. So when the pandemic started, I coined a phrase um, that connection and relationship is the vaccine against isolation. So good. Yeah. That's what you're talking about in terms of open. And that's really, it's been the gift of, of the COVID is that a lot of people are connecting with people for various reasons that never would have connected before. Yes. I thought the term social distancing was poorly chosen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was pointed out to me. It's all about physical distancing. Yes. We don't want to be socially distanced. Yeah. Yeah. I think in hindsight, they would have chosen differently, but here we are with a term that. (laughs) Well, I don't accept it. I actually, when people talk about it, I, I, when I'm talking about it, I always use, oh yeah, we'll be physically distanced. Don't worry about that. Right. Yeah. Love it. So we went from weight loss to COVID. Let's go back to weight loss for a minute. (laughs) Back to weight loss. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So talk to me a little bit, reach back a little bit in your memory. Let's talk about a time in your life when you had what I call a defining moment or two or three, just one where everything Hmm. changed for you, where there was a shift. Wow. You are asking me to dig back. (laughs) Um, You know, I, there is something, a particular issue I've had with my eye uh, over the years since 1998, I had a a very acute case of iritis. 
Uh, and it stemmed from, as best I can tell, getting some jalapeno into my eye. And it turned into, you know, basically a steroid injection into the eye, you know, taking uh, oral steroids to get rid of, of it. And it's something that would come back under great stress. And it was the one, two, I think it was the third time I got it. And I'm, you know, as I can see it coming on, because I get this sort of haziness. Uh, and I had a, a moment, I'm in New York with friends, with some girlfriends, and I see this coming on. And my first thought is like, crap, you know, no, 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 no. And I'm wanting to resist it. And just this can't be the you know, just. And I'm in a hotel, I go out into the hotel kind of um, hallway, and I'm just sitting there and it's 2am. And I'm, you know, kind of stewing in my own, you know, pity party. And I just, for me, it was a prayer. Like, I just decided, you know what, if this, if this can, if this passes, if this can pass, I love it, please let that happen. <laughs> and if not, I will learn to, I will learn to deal with this. And I got a very clear message of like, don't be freaking out, like calm the hell down. <laughs> and because the work that you need to do, and, and I had no idea what that was at the time, but the work you need to do, you can't be in the space of freaking out and getting all worked up about things. So you, you need to relax. So it's not useful, right? It's not useful. And from that moment, I decided, okay, if this comes full blown and I see, you know, we'll relax and, and go with it. And it did. And I took it in much better stride. And I've had it, you know, a few times since then. Typically, it'll happen again in response to major stress, like a move, mm -hmm. <laughs> something like that. But yeah, each time, it's always been a little less and a little less, and it has taken far fewer interventions to, uh, to have it go away. And I will bet you have a tendency to, to listen to that calm, gentle voice more and more. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to know that so much of what, we, the, what we're listening to sometimes is just our rehashing like we were saying a bit ago, rehashing of the past and thinking that that is somehow still true and it doesn't have to be. We can choose a different path forward and and start creating that. I mean, we truly can create our future. We can create the health that we want. And we have so much control. That's the thing. But we we try to control circumstances in people and our environment rather than looking inward and saying, okay, what do, what do I want to be thinking about on a regular basis? What do I want to be feeding myself? How do I want to grow and evolve? And what sort of behaviors, you know, do I want to be engaging in and bringing all of that together? Because that's where we have the control and then stop trying to control everything else. Exactly. I ask myself, is that any part of my business? Mm. And in many cases, when I'm working or dealing with somebody and they're, they've got something going on that's just like, you know, and I, you know, I might have an opinion about it, but I just stop myself. And I, and I actually tell them, you know, really sorry, but that's not none of my business. Cause I'm not going to mm. support somebody that's coming from that place. Yeah. I would support the conversation or dialogue, internal dialogue you had with your, yourself in terms of that voice that came out in New York City. New York City is pretty awesome, don't you think? 
<laughs> well, and that was 2001. That was December 2001, right after 9-11. Oh, my gosh. And that was a pretty, um, an amazing time to be there. Uh, yeah. Also, obviously, very, very sad. Uh, a lot of sorrow. And then also seeing, you know, a city really re trying to rebuild and, and coming together and all the just love you would see pouring out for the city, for the first responders, um, everywhere you went. So it was, it was beautiful in that regard. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm just curious that experience with in New York, with that voice inside, did that kind of inform you of a possibility in terms of working with other people in a similar way? Hmm. I don't think at the time that it did, I think like everything else, it's, it's led me to where I am. That's what it makes put, it a defining moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it put me in that space of realizing I need to consciously decide to not freak the hell out. Right? <laughs> to not, and, and it's something I always knew about myself, but I would easily tell myself that story. Like, this is just the way I am. I didn't see that it could be any different. So that was the defining moment. I mean, now that you're asking me, I haven't thought about this in a while that was the defining moment that showed me there is another way. I didn't know what it was yet, like, you know, conceptually, but how do I get there? And that's, I would say, been a lifelong practice now. Mm, love it. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So would you say that uh, for those people that do struggle with weight loss, that it might be a lifelong practice? <laughs> uh, yes. That, that, is, that is the key. And actually, in my agreements, I, I say please do not think about this as a program in quotes, a program you are on. Think about embarking on a journey, something you're doing the rest of your life. Think about the way you want to live. That's the only way this works. It doesn't work if it's, you know, a program. It's got to be, it's got to be your life. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I really do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I get to see the shifts um, every day. I have one client who started out her story was, I hate exercise. And I said, well, what if we just changed that to, I'm not a fan of exercise. Does that work for you right now? She's, yeah, I could get behind. So you could see I'm not a fan was a little, you know, a little softer than the I hate. And now, and she's in her mid sixties, still working. And she walks like a mile and a half hills five days a week. Does and loves it. I mean, that's the crazy thing. She loves going on her walks. So, yeah, it, it's fun to see like true, genuine shifts in the joy that comes with it. That's um, that's priceless. It's good. So, yeah. would you say it's a fun journey? Oh yeah. Good. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I, I have a little saying: if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. Yes, a lot more fun than accounting. <laughs> I was going to say, but that taught you something that taught you accountability. Yeah. What did it teach you? Well, it's interesting. I, well, it taught me what I don't want. That's one thing. It certainly, it channeled my, you know, I liked in school, I liked mathematics and I liked numbers, but I wasn't going to be a mathematician. And so the only thing I could think of it was, well, okay, let's be an accountant. And I don't even know why I knew that term. You know, I'm in high school and let's be an accountant. And I went in that direction. Uh, I would say it taught me, you know, a lot about business. It taught me, you know, how to be certainly responsible, how to run my own business. And so there is, is a lot of good that came from that. 
So used to regret it, used to think, oh, why did I spend all those years? And no, not anymore. No, no regrets. It's all, all, learn, all learning. It all builds upon itself. And when I made the shift, you know, I think a lot of people looked at me like, you're going to do what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm going to go be a gym rat, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> but yeah, I worked for KPMG for six years. It was my last semester or second of my last semester in, um, at Cal State Fullerton where I got my undergrad. And I was studying, what was it? It was an upper division GE course on the uh, chemistry of nutrition and drugs. And I said to myself, oh, I should have done something like this. <laughs> and so, you know, a few years later, started, started taking steps. That's great. Early on, I was studying music when I was very young. And uh, kind of a long story, but I ended up, on, ended up on Orcas Island and helping to run a place called the Lewis Foundation. We had a country in in a great restaurant that was a means of support for the work the foundation did. And we wrote books. So long story short is I started to learn programming, computer programming in the early days. One of the owners of the, of the foundation actually purchased a $20,000 computer. Had somebody from Seattle come in, program it, but we couldn't afford him to do the upgrade, so I had to learn. But what I learned was that there was a, there was a close association with music and computer programming or computers in general. And so, and mathematics as well. Not that a mathematician could be really good at computer programming or a musician could be, you know, however you want to mix it up. But I'm going to ask you, do you like music? Do you enjoy music? I enjoy music. I wouldn't call myself a music person, but I enjoy music and I like dancing. Ah, dancing. There you go. Okay, yeah. great. What kind of well, dance? Yeah. What kind of dance do you do or like? Well, I, well, I <laughs> my husband and I love East Coast Swing. So cool. That's I've done that. Yeah, love East Coast Swing. Uh, when we can be out taking lessons, we've done, you know, waltz. Um, I'm not a fan of Foxtrot. I think I just haven't quite gotten the hang of it, but um, cha-cha is a lot of fun, you know, Roomba, some, yeah. Have you done the merengue? I have not. I have not. But uh, we have a, in the town I live in, we have a Dancing with Our Stars production every year. And so it's been, of course, the last two years, you know, this will be the, the second year now that it has been held off on, but 10 years running. And so that's something that got me back into something I loved as a child and got my husband coming along with me for dance lessons. And so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. All right. Anything else you want to include? Well, I would just say if you are if you are somebody who is having that conversation in your head and you know that you need to have a better conversation, reach out. Let's have let's you and I have a conversation. I offer a you know a complimentary one to anybody who wants to reach out and have that. And I would just say to folks, you know, women, start asking yourself better questions. Don't ask yourself like, why did I do that? Why am I so stupid? Why am I such an idiot? Why does everything go wrong? Don't ask those questions. Uh, okay. You know, what I, questions would you ask? What can I do to make this better? What's amazing about this day? What would I like to go well today? Right. Any number of questions that, you know, what can I, what's the next best thing I can do for my health today or right now? What do I most need in this moment? Like ask yourself good questions. So what's the best way to get in touch with you? That would be through my website, weightbreakthrough.com. 
weightbreakthrough.com. Weightbreakthrough.com. Yep. That's awesome. That is reach me. Yeah. A lot of free resources. Um, so many things that women can learn from and participate with, um, whether they ever hire me or not. So I, I love the community that I've, that I've pulled together and, uh, anybody who wants to be a part of that, you're so welcome. Nice chatting with you. You too, John. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Have a great day. Produced by Heard Not Seen Media, visit imaginepodcasting.com for more information.